Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. I'm back with another true crime story to lull you to sleep or perhaps to give you nightmares. The case of Amber Hilberling is much different than any other case I've covered on the show. It's one that is both incredibly tragic and complicated. It will make you question the way that women are perceived by the media, treated in the court of public opinion, and failed behind the walls of the prison systems. The name Amber Hilberling first hit headlines when she was accused and convicted of murdering her Air Force veteran husband, Josh Hilberling, by pushing him out of a high-rise window. Amber, who was very pregnant with their son at the time, claimed that it was an accident, and she had no idea that he would fall out the window. Still, she would be convicted of second-degree murder in 2013 and sentenced to serve 25 years behind bars at Mabel Bassett Correctional Center. Her family rallied around her, believing that she was unjustly convicted. 
Josh's family would even file a wrongful death lawsuit against the builder of the apartment complex that they lived in because of how dangerously thin their windows were. But most people, including Josh's friends and family, celebrated feeling like justice was served. Just a few years into Amber's sentence, she would be found dead in the prison. It was ruled a suicide, and it's true that Amber had suffered with mental health issues. However, Amber's family believed that she was murdered and that it was staged to look like a suicide. When you look at the details surrounding her death, I think that you'll see why they may have some concerns. This is a very complicated case because it brings up a lot of complicated feelings about who the victims are and how complicit they are. One thing I want to be very clear about is that what happened to Josh Hilberling is horrible, and he didn't deserve it at all. He is a victim here, and so is their child, Levi, who now has to live without both his mother and his father. I also think it's important that we don't simply turn a blind eye to what happens to prisoners when they're in the care of the system just because they have committed crimes. With all of that said, let's jump right in. Amber was born on October 1st, 1991, in Joplin, Missouri, to her parents, Michael and Rhonda. When she was just three months old, they would move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that's where she would grow up. Though her parents would divorce and remarry, it was an amicable situation, and they all continued to stay close. So Amber was supported by this massive family, including her brother, her half-sister, and her stepsisters. Her parents describe her as being an excellent student who maintained a 4.0 GPA and even broke the record for getting student of the month so many times. In addition to her academics, she loved playing sports like volleyball, soccer, and dance. She was fluent in movie quotes and she enjoyed reading. She was also into all of the girly things like shoes, clothes, makeup, and hair. And she liked boys, or should I say boy, because she met the person that she would describe as the love of her life at a very young age, and they were married when she was just 18 years old. It was a whirlwind romance. He was tall, dark, and handsome, and a few years older than Amber. If there was such thing as love at first sight, they had it. They were inseparable, and things moved really quickly. Josh would join the Air Force, and the young couple would move to Fairbanks, Alaska. Shortly after being stationed, Amber discovered that she was pregnant. This put a lot of strain on their very new relationship. They were both still very young, still learning about each other while figuring out how to be an adult in the world. The pregnancy came quickly, and while it was a surprise, Amber was over the moon excited. Friends would say that the wild, carefree, albeit maybe a bit childish sometimes, Amber completely changed her ways when she found out that she was going to have a child. She became a completely different person, and she was very much looking forward to motherhood. Unfortunately, this didn't extend to Josh, according to some of their mutual friends. Josh was absolutely thrilled to become a dad. He couldn't wait to have a baby, but he was a 23-year-old young guy, and he had a lot of growing up to do. They may have gotten married a little too quickly. As a military wife, I can tell you this happens a lot, because unless you're legally married or common law, you don't get any of the benefits. So they would have gotten married so that she could have moved into military housing with him. Prior to moving in together, they were a happy, fun-loving couple, but now their relationship became toxic. They would fight constantly, even about whether or not they should stay together. 
It seemed like they both knew that the relationship was unstable, but they couldn't quit each other. There are allegations that Josh began to do some drugs pretty heavily, and he was dishonorably discharged from the Air Force after just nine months. After he was released, the couple would return back to Tulsa to live closer to family members who were going to be helping out with the baby. This is when Josh allegedly began to talk to Amber about selling drugs so that they could earn enough cash to pay their bills. Amber would later say in an interview that she felt sad, disappointed, and angry. They fought all of the time because of it. I want to be very clear here. Being a drug user or being addicted to drugs does not make someone a bad person, and it definitely does not make their life any less valuable. But these details are important to include so that you can get the full picture of just how tense things were in their relationship. Amber's parents would get the newlywed couple set up with their very own apartment in a high-rise building located in Tulsa. This way, they could still be close to family, but have a bit of their own independence. Whether they were ready or not, they were going to become parents, and they had to figure it out. Unfortunately, things only escalated now that they were living on their own again. Neighbors reported hearing fighting, screaming, and banging around coming from their unit. Things became so bad that Josh had filed a restraining order against Amber, alleging that she had thrown a lamp at his head, even requiring him to get stitches. But it was later dismissed because neither of them showed up for their court date. In reality, they were in this toxic, abusive cycle of fighting, breaking up, and getting back together. It was clear they loved each other, but they were not ready to be married and have a baby. On June 7th, 2011, their fighting would lead to deadly consequences. Amber was now seven months pregnant, and her and Josh had been living in their apartment for about two weeks. They were once again at that point where they were done, it was over, and Josh was moving out. He had even packed a bag with all of his things, and he called his father asking him to pick him up. The night prior, they fought so viciously that their bedroom window had been broken. According to Amber, she said that Josh had thrown a laundry basket and it shattered their bedroom window. They had to have a maintenance worker come in to their unit to fix it. Even when the window repairman arrived to the apartment to fix the window, the couple was still arguing. The worker would later testify that he felt the tension between the couple and it was clear that they had been arguing for some time. He went into the bedroom where the broken window was and he began working to repair it. Josh and Amber would pop their head in every so often, appearing agitated. Suddenly, he heard a loud crash sound and when he looked out the bedroom window, he said that he saw Josh falling from the 20-foot floor high-rise to the cement on top of a parking garage. Nobody could have survived a fall from this height, and Josh was no exception. Another maintenance worker who was getting supplies from out of his truck would also later testify that he heard the crash from above, and then he saw Josh fall from the 25th floor. As he was falling, Amber appeared in the window for a brief moment. It took almost three seconds for Josh to make impact with the ground, and the maintenance worker said that he had this terrified look on his face. He fell face down. It's really scary to think about, because at that point, there is nothing that you can do. 
Several neighbors would report hearing Amber scream out something to the effect of, oh my god, no, before she ran into the bedroom to the maintenance worker, and she said that she had pushed Josh out of the window. The maintenance man was shocked, and he would say that he was fearful for his own life, but he escorted her down the elevator to where Josh was on the 8th floor parking garage. When she got to where his body lie, she ran over to him and held him, even kissing him on the cheek. Paramedics and other witnesses who were on the scene reported that the very heavily pregnant Amber had a gash on her arm and she was completely distraught, begging for anyone to save her husband. Sadly, everyone there knew that it was far too late to do anything for Josh. Amber called for her grandmother for support and her grandmother arrived at the apartment quickly. Police would also arrive on the scene, and initially this was treated like a horrific, tragic accident. Amber was a witness and the wife of the victim, so she was asked to come back to the station to provide some information. At this point, she was never told that she was under arrest, that she was a suspect in anything, or that Josh's death was even being looked at as a murder. Amber would say that she had even sat in the front seat of the cruiser as they drove over to the station. Along with her grandmother, Amber was put in an interview room. Officer Don Holloway would leave them alone in this room, but not before turning on his video recording device. He would watch their conversation from the other room, and what he heard shocked him. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. 
Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Here's a clip from that interaction, which lasted over an hour before police felt like it was time to intervene. Josh is dead, and I'm here. I didn't just lose my husband. Jeannie and Patrick lost their son. Zach lost his brother. His grandma, his poor grandma's gonna have a heart attack <laughs> when she finds out that her, her little Josh is gone. All I kept seeing, like, I just held his broken body. <laughs> I just kept looking at him, looking at him. Amber. I can't. I'm not saying that you're guilty. Listen to me. What I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of things at stake that people are going to be doing their jobs. Patrick and him, you know, they are going to come after you with everything they got. You know that. So you've got to fight for that one. And you've got to fight for yourself. But who fights for jobs? He's in better peace. Listen to me. He's in God's. He's he's in Amber. 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 He's in God's hands right now. He's not supposed to be. No, he's not supposed to be, but he's in God's hands. Some of the notable things that she said were Josh is dead and I'm here. I just held his broken body. I just want to be with Josh. I just want to die. I'm such a bad person. I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to be a mom. I'm not even going to be able to meet him in heaven anymore because he hates me. I killed him. And that pretty much sealed her fate. Though her grandmother kept cautioning her to watch her words, Amber was having an emotional breakdown and this information was just spilling out of her mouth. When the officer on the other side of that wall, watching and listening to the recorded conversation, heard her say the words, I killed him, it was time to arrest Amber on charges of first-degree murder, which would later be reduced to second-degree murder. 
she had basically just confessed to killing Josh on video. Two days after her arrest, Amber attended a hearing where her bail was set at $250,000, which she paid. Her family was shocked that she was being accused of intentionally killing Josh, and they were throwing all of their support behind her, financially and in the media. Amber was ordered to wear an ankle monitor while awaiting trial at home. At that court hearing, her attorney also filed a motion to have that secret recording suppressed as evidence. According to the attorney, even after Amber asked for a lawyer and said that she didn't want to make any statements until he arrived, the police continued to record the conversation for a full 47 minutes. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. She had not been read her Miranda rights, but it's implied that she should have known that anything that she might say in that room could be used against her. In the end, the recording was deemed admissible because Amber had provided the information herself without being questioned by the police. Just a few months into her house arrest, Amber would give birth to their son, Levi. Until her trial was complete, she was granted full custody of the baby. The situation was not a good one, though. While Amber's family believed that this was an accident, Josh's family felt otherwise. To them, this was a cold, calculated murder, and now this woman had custody of their grandchild. Things were tense both in person and online, with many people just posting the most horrible things, forgetting that there is an innocent baby involved. While Amber was on her house arrest, she would break her conditions several times and be sent back to jail within six months. She maintained that she had forgotten to charge her ankle monitor, but she had also failed several court-ordered drug tests for marijuana. Her behavior before and after Josh's death was far from perfect. At 19 years old, I don't think she fully understood the gravity of her situation. Here's the kicker. The DA's office would offer Amber a plea deal. She would only have to serve five years in prison in exchange for a guilty plea. That's it. She would be out before she was even 30 years old, and then she would get to live out the rest of her life with her son. But Amber refused to take the deal. She maintained her innocence, and she said that she would not admit to doing something that she didn't do. This would turn out to be another fatal mistake. So in March of 2013, Amber Hilberling would go on trial for the secondary murder of her husband, Josh Hilberling. This case was a media frenzy, not only because this was a highly unusual circumstance for a person to die, but because of appearances. This is my opinion, but if you look at the old headlines, I think you'll agree. There was a very specific picture being painted. The papers really focused in on Amber's appearance, particularly the way that she dressed, her fake breasts because she had implants, her hair, and her makeup. At the same time, her husband Josh was painted as an Air Force veteran who was murdered by his spoiled, rich wife. Amber's trial would take place in Tulsa, which was a very controversial move. Her defense team argued that she wouldn't get a fair trial in Tulsa because of everything that had been publicized, but it was ruled this case was just so widely known that it wouldn't really matter where it was held. Josh's family was devastated by his death. He was described as this friendly giant who always made people laugh. They wanted Amber to pay for her involvement. 
They were well aware of physical violence that Amber had inflicted on Josh in the recent past. They knew about the restraining order that Josh had filed shortly before his death and how he had his bags packed and at the door ready to leave. On the other hand, there was also proof that Josh was physically abusive to Amber as well, including several police reports that had been filed at the Air Force Base in Alaska where they previously lived. Some of the allegations in his file are horrendous, including throwing a plate at her and trying to pop one of her breast implants with his hands. Sadly, we can no longer speak to either Josh or Amber, so all we have is the police reports to make assumptions based upon the evidence. Domestic violence, whether by a man or a woman, towards a man or a woman, is not okay, and in the end, they both paid with their life. As I mentioned, that recorded conversation between Amber and her grandmother was deemed admissible because she had provided the information unprompted. However, any allegations of abuse from either side was prohibited, unless Amber was the first one to bring it up. Amber also wasn't allowed to bring up any claims that Josh had a drug problem. That was deemed irrelevant to the murder. The prosecution revealed several statements that Amber had made repeatedly at different points to various officers and during that recorded conversation with her grandmother. She had said that her and Josh got into an argument. She went into the bedroom while Josh stayed in the living room. She came back into the living room and they continued to argue. She said she pushed Josh into what she thought was the wall, but he fell into the candlesticks and then into the window. All of this was captured in that recording. However, at trial, Amber had a different version of events. She said that when she walked into the living room, Josh turned from the window and began walking towards her. They met one another near the TV, maybe two to three feet away from the window. Then she claimed that Josh attacked her, grabbing her shoulders with both of his hands. She said she pushed him away from her, and he fell into the portion of the wall that's located between the candlesticks and the TV, and then he lost his balance and he went out the window. She said he was looking into her eyes as he fell, and she'll never forget it. These two different versions of events, where in scenario one, Amber pushes Josh unprovoked, and scenario two, where Amber pushes Josh away after he puts his hands on her, definitely changes things. In one scenario, she is the aggressor, and in the other, he is. I think it's also important to note here that Josh was a very tall guy, standing at around 6'4 and weighing around 220 pounds, while Amber is around 5'5 and she was 7 months pregnant at the time. That certainly doesn't mean that she can't push him hard enough for him to fall out the window, but it does make me question the integrity of the glass on that window. The defense team brought in a window expert to testify in court, and what he said is compelling. The building that Amber and Josh lived in was known as the University Club Tower. It was a 46-year-old high-rise that clearly had a ton of wear and tear on it. The expert showed pictures of signs that the building was deteriorating, and it needed major repairs. From the photo of the window that Josh fell out of, you can see a lot of cracking and old caulking that had been applied. The expert testified that this window was likely an original, making it 46 years old. It's kind of scary to think about when you remember that Amber and Josh lived on the 23rd floor. 
Now, Mark has a website with a very thorough review of the window that Josh fell through, and I'm going to link it for you in my show notes. You absolutely must check out the information that he has posted. It will blow your mind and give you a whole new perspective on this case. One of the things that really caught my eye is how he says that the window glass was less than one eighth of an inch thick. It's known in the glass industry as single strength. It's used in things like picture frames, but not windows because it's far too weak. Mark says straight out, quote, To put it mildly, the incident glass would break easily in the presence of moderate impact. In my opinion, I think this information should have held much more weight for the jury than it seemed to. But they focused more on witness statements from the prosecution. One of the maintenance workers in the case who saw Josh falling from the ground said that he fell face first. The prosecution claimed that this backed their theory that Josh was doing something else. Maybe he was playing with the TV or looking out the window. And Amber took that opportunity to push him as hard as she could towards the window. They went as far as to claim that she had likely come up with this plan after seeing how easily the first window broke in their bedroom just the night before. Amber's defense was that Josh was attacking her during another one of their violent altercations. She provided photos that showed bruising on her neck and other parts of her body, alleging that Josh had given them to her. She said that he had a drug addiction and he refused to get clean before they had their baby. Josh's family would deny and contradict everything that Amber claimed, saying that Josh was the one that was going to be leaving Amber because of her abuse and her drug use. When everything had been presented, all of the evidence, all of the witness testimony, it only took the jury three hours to find Amber guilty of second-degree murder. She was given a 25-year prison sentence. She could have been sentenced to anywhere from 10 years to life, and the judge decided that 25 years was the most fair and appropriate. However, many people, including Amber and her defense team, thought that 25 years was extremely harsh. Her son would be 30 years old by the time that she was released from prison. I want to read a portion of a statement by Assistant District Attorney Michelle Bodine Keeley that was submitted before the sentencing. She says, quote, Standing before this court is a young lady who can be viewed as dispassionate and detached. Her violent behavior was not a one-time occurrence which came out of nowhere in response to an unforeseen event, but something about which she had been forewarned. One thing is definitely clear regarding Amber Hilberling. She is the most productive when in custody. The system of trial by jury is the best system ever devised, and the results should not be tampered with unless clearly incorrect or flawed by improper legal decisions. Amber's 25-year sentence was upheld, and she was sent to the Mabel Bassett Correctional Center. Her parents gained full custody of little Levi. Prison was not kind to Amber. It's not supposed to be a fun, happy place, obviously, but it was particularly a very difficult world for her to be in. She didn't fit the typical stereotype of what you would imagine a violent killer to be. And so she was targeted by a lot of other inmates because of the way that she looked and the special privileges that they seen she was given. While Amber tried to tough it out behind bars, her parents went on a media crusade to clear their daughter's name. 
They went on several news shows, including Dateline and The Dr. Phil Show, which is where I first heard of this case many years ago. While they were very clear that they acknowledged Amber had pushed Josh out of the window, they spoke about how the 25-year prison sentence was too harsh for a pregnant teen mom who didn't intend to kill her husband. There were, of course, a lot of mixed feelings. A lot of people who felt like, no, this girl killed her husband and she was right where she belonged. There were others who felt like this was a tragic accident, but the sentence was far too harsh for being an accident. Amber said that she just wanted to be with her child and to have a chance to see him grow up. She continued to survive behind bars as best as she could. Her parents would visit with her often, bringing Levi along so that he could spend time with his mother. They would actually visit the prison as many times as twice a month. As far as what Levi knew about his mom, he believed that she was a beautiful princess who lived in a castle and she needed the guards to protect her because she was just that beautiful. Sadly, the reality of it is that one day he will grow up and he will have to learn the truth of what happened to his mother and his father. In October of 2016, while serving her 25-year sentence in prison, something shocking would happen. Amber's mother, Rhonda, would allegedly get a phone call from the prison where the caller said she's dead and hung up. Rhonda claimed that she repeatedly tried to call back to get more information about her daughter. She called for eight hours, but no one would speak to her. Finally, later that evening, someone from the prison spoke with her to say, watch the news to learn more. And this is how they would learn that their daughter had died by hanging. Allegedly, she was found by another inmate, deceased, and she had hung herself with a hair straightening cord. Prison staff attempted to revive her through CPR. However, it was too late. One of Josh's family members would write on Facebook, Ding dong, the witch is dead, showing just how strained this relationship between the two sides of the family really was. Immediately, her mother pushed for more answers, believing that there was no way that Amber would kill herself. Still to this day, Rhonda fully believes that someone in that prison murdered Amber and then covered it up. According to her, Amber was talking to Levi on the phone the night before she died. They chatted about Halloween costumes and nothing seemed to be out of the ordinary. Amber actually appeared to be excited and hopeful about the future. Allegedly, there were also other inmates and workers at the prison who also believed that Amber was murdered. As with every other prison, there are cameras all over the place. However, it's alleged that on this day, this specific camera that was angled in the way that would have captured Amber's death, it just so happened to be broken and not recording. Amber's family would push for an independent autopsy for which they would be denied. But there would be an autopsy conducted by the medical examiner's office, which confirmed that Amber died from asphyxia due to hanging. The report stated, quote, Descendant found partly suspended by the neck with electrical cord ligature per scene investigation. Circumferential linear abrasion of upper neck consistent with ligature mark. There were also scratch marks on the left side of her neck, abrasions on the right side of the neck, and a bruise on her right jaw, all of which was documented in this autopsy report. Do with that information what you will. 
It's also important to note that Amber was suffering from depression behind bars, and she had scars on her arms indicating that she had been self-harming. There were also traces of meth found in her blood, along with her citalopram, which she was taking to treat her depression. Still, her family does not believe that she took her own life. And there was a letter that came to light that kind of supports that. Channel 8 News had requested to interview with Amber to talk about where her case currently stood. The day prior to her death, she wrote them a letter back and it said, quote, Please understand the misfortune I've suffered from media interviews I had agreed to do on the popular promise of helping me. She wrote that despite her reservations, she wanted to do an interview with them. Quote, because I can't let go of the hope that using my own voice in conversations about my own life will be the one and only chance I have to change the circumstances of my own reality. Two years after Amber's death, there was a really weird post shared by an unknown Facebook user on the page called In Loving Memory of Amber Hilberling, which is run by a few people who believe that Amber was wronged in close connection with her family. It said, quote, Oklahoma Department of Corrections and Mabel Bassett Correctional Center are responsible for covering up the murder of Amber Hilberling and making it look like a suicide. Amber Hilberling was murdered by an inmate named Patricia Rucker, quote-unquote T. Rucker. Hours before Amber was found hanging in her cell, Rucker, who was doing a life sentence, told Amber to go kill herself. Rucker was housed in a separate block than Amber and was not allowed in her pod. However, the guards allowed it anyway. Rucker is in prison for strangling her girlfriend over 20 years ago. Amber was found hanging by the cord of her hair straightener. Her body wasn't removed from her cell for hours. She was left there so long so that the prison's internal affairs department could get to the murder scene before the medical examiner. There were claw marks on Amber's neck where she tried to fight off her attacker and remove the cord. Amber was working with Dr. Phil and had an interview coming up with the local news station, KJRH. And then this part is in caps. The prison did not want the world to know an inmate killed another inmate, and they let it happen and did nothing about it. Since Amber's case was so high profile, they had to cover up what they let happen. The warden of the prison and several guards ate McDonald's and laughed about her murder, all while Amber's body was still hanging. It doesn't matter if you believe Amber deserved to be in prison or not. Her seven-year-old son deserves to know his mommy didn't choose to leave him. Her life was taken from her, and I will spend my life trying to prove it. Again, the identity of whoever posted that has never been revealed and none of the details included have been confirmed. There is one part that I do agree with, though. It doesn't matter if you believe Amber deserved to be in prison or not. If someone took away Levi's opportunity to know his one remaining parent, then that is not okay. Josh's family would file wrongful death charges against the building where they lived. They sued for $75,000 in damages for failing to maintain their building safely and properly. They also sued the glass installation company, citing the glass windows as inadequate. And I think that's where I'm going to leave this story and now turn it over to you. Do you think that Amber Hilberling should have been charged with second-degree murder and the death of Josh Hilberling? 
What about the 25 years that she was sentenced? Do you think that that was an appropriate and fair amount of time? And then what do you think about her death? Do you believe that there is enough evidence to at least warrant an investigation into how she died? Let me know what you think. That's it for me tonight. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're on Twitter, you can check me out at Serial underscore Napper. And I also post things over on TikTok. Serial Napper Nick, and that's all one word. If you're following me on YouTube, I'd love if you can give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to my channel. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, especially in the comments. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family, family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!